The first lesson this morning is from the book of Kings. When he could have asked God for power or riches, King Solomon instead asked God to give him an understanding mind with which to govern God's people. David slept with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. The time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David. Only he sacrificed and offered incense at the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the principal high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father, David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept him from this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on the throne today. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Although I am only a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous that they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil, for who can govern this, your, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. And now I do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has has been before you, and no one like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor all your life. No other king shall compare with you. If you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your life. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. The psalm for today is Psalm 111. If you'd please stand and sing with us. Of 
Christ's followers are urged to act wisely, giving thanks to God for goodness and living according to his will. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. Be careful how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. You may be seated. I think this is about the fourth week in a row that we've had readings on bread. Um, So if you're getting tired of bread... 
That's okay. Hang on. We're almost done. This is the last week. We hear this passage, whoever eats the flesh of the Son of Man and drinks his blood has, will have life in him. And, and we've heard it so many times, it just kind of passes right over us. It would have been tremendously shocking to its first hearers. First of all, um, back in, in the day, in the, in the early church, the Romans accused Christians of cannibalism with language like that, no wonder. What are you doing in those secret assemblies anyway? And if you're talking about eating flesh, you must be cannibals. And secondly, Jews would not have eaten blood of any animal at all, let alone human blood. Um, Blood is the seat of life, and life belongs to God. And when you slaughtered an animal to eat, you poured the blood at the, at the base of the altar to return the life of the animal to God and in that way bought back the rest of the animal to eat. So eating blood would have just horrified um, John's first, uh, first audience. And then thirdly, the word that John uses for eat um, is a very graphic word. It means to gnaw. Um, It's what a mouse does to a piece of wood when it's making a hole through the wood. Trogon, we get the word troglodyte from that. Troglodyte is people who crawl in and out of little mouse holes, um, having been gnawed in the wood. So gnaw on the flesh of the Son of Man. Um, That starts to get a little bit disturbing. What's going on here? If we collectively are the body of Christ, then perhaps individually we are particles of the flesh of Christ. And so what we're supposed to do is gnaw on each other. Um, I had that happen to me a little bit this week. Somebody who kind of irritates me I had to deal with and started to hear a little bit of that person's story. And as I heard that story, I thought, oh, that's where that comes from. I get it and began to, to understand and, and um, not be so annoyed at that person. Um, in the debates that we're having, if you can call them debates, about, about health care reform, we tend to end up shouting at each other. Um, that's kind of typical, I think, in American politics. We shout at each other across some dividing line. I've heard somebody call it the dialogue of the deaf. If the person on the other side doesn't understand me, I'll just say it louder, and then they'll understand me. And we end up shouting and holding up posters and people getting arrested at town hall meetings, and nothing gets resolved. What if we stepped back and listened to what was being said on the other side, and not just what words are being presented, but what lies behind it? What are people afraid of? What do people bring to the debate? If they're shouting, it must matter greatly. What is it that matters? Let's listen. Let's gnaw on that and see if we can understand and then maybe go forward. Both sides need to do that because we're both shouting. Both sides are shouting at each other. What are we afraid of? We had the birthday party Um, at city detention on Friday, and it always amazes me. I'm always 
sort of a little reluctant that I signed up to go. We're sort of driving down there, and I'm thinking, why did I do this yet again? Um, it's just going to be boring, and, you know, we've done this before. And you get there and stand around waiting for the kids to come in, and my anxiety level goes up a little bit. You hear that door clang shut behind you, and it's like, hmm, yep, we're in lockdown. Um, there's a new judge in charge of the family courts in St. Louis, and he doesn't like having the census of the detention centers very high, so he sends a lot of kids home with ankle bracelets and, and you know what have you. And so we had a very small group at the party, probably 32. But you realize these are the 32 that he didn't feel comfortable sending home. These are the hard of the hard. And they come in, and they're sitting there in their chairs, and they're slouching, and they're, they're projecting tough. They just want you to know that they're tough. And then we asked what years they were born in, and the birthdays that we were celebrating were for 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds, and they were in the oldest group of kids there. It gets younger from there. They're kids. Um, they're trying to project that tough, but they're kids. And then, you know, we play about 45 minutes worth of bingo, and I don't know any game more boring than bingo. Um, but they're having fun. By the end of that 45 minutes, they're waiting, oh, please call this number, please call this number. They want to get bingo. And then we serve them cake and ice cream and sing happy birthday. The birthday kids get to unwrap their presents, and then they have to surrender them back immediately to the guards, and they go in the locker, and they get them when they go home. And up they go to their lockdown units. But they're having fun. If we took the time, to gnaw on these particles of flesh, to know what their stories were, how would that change the way we responded? We spend an hour there playing bingo with them, and every time my perspective gets changed. I go in there reluctant that I signed up and come away thinking that was really worth it. Will it change the world? Will we change the world doing that kind of thing? Chances are... No, we won't make a big difference. We might change the discourse a little bit, but what we will do is end up taking the world into ourselves. When we present our bread and wine and our money on the altar, we're presenting all of the relationships that we're involved in, all of the economies that we participate in, and then we get that back, chew it up, and swallow it. We take the world into ourselves, and we do that as God's representatives in the world, as the body of Christ. God takes the world into God's self through us. We also put that stuff on the altar and ask God to bless it, and God does and returns it to us, and we take the divine self into ourselves. And then we go back out there in the world. Jesus says, the bread which I will give is my flesh, for the life of the world. We become that flesh which the world needs to gnaw on in order to ingest God. So it's this constant dance. We listen, we ruminate over, we chew on each other's lives, chew on the lives of people out there, come to take that into us and into God, present it to God, Here's what we see. Here's what we know. Here's what's going on, God. God blesses it, returns it to us, and we go back out into the world so that the world can incorporate God and become divine.
savor life, savor each other, savor those kids in detention. What's the story? What do we need to learn? And then how can we be food for them so that they also can become divine? Amen.